This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 490. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by my best friend, Jacob Paulson. Thanks, Riley. <laughs> it's like, what am I going to say now? I don't know. <laughs> Run, running out of titles. <clears throat> hey, uh, folks, we, we're pleased to be with you here today. Uh, we've got a, uh, well, we've got a full episode planned for you. And this one is going to start off by revisiting a topic that we, I mean, we've definitely touched on it here and there throughout the years, but we're going to rehash an old episode. Number 18, to carry or to chamber or not to chamber was the title of that episode way back now. My goodness, almost almost five years ago is when we um, last did that episode. Hard to believe. And here we are almost five years later, five million episodes, almost 500 episodes. Quite a history. <laughs> uh, would you think that our ideas surrounding this topic have changed in that time? I think um, my general opinion probably has not changed, but my understanding of why I feel the way I do is maybe much deeper. And my understanding of why some people disagree is probably also much deeper. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And by the way, this maybe we should have had or tried to have Matthew back on this together with us because in episode 18, it was me, you, and Matthew Marister. And that might have been one of the first ones we had him on. It was the first one we had him on. That's awesome. Going back in time, brother. Well, anyway, uh, today's episode, by the way, is sponsored, brought to you by, well, maybe I'll let you break this news. Guardian University? What's that? So Guardian University, coming soon to a computer near you. (laughs) So Guardian University is a basically a collection of all of the various online training that our company produces organized into a curriculum that uh, obviously is designed to take someone from from zero to hero, I guess. And so what we what we've done is we've said, hey, listen, you know we 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 have a bunch of online training courses, video based training courses. People can buy them online and stream them or they can you know order DVDs for those of you who like those DVDs. And we've had these for a long time, and it's always been a priority of ours to continue to produce more of those uh, courses. Um, but two things changed. The first thing that changed is we determined it was important to give someone direction relative to maybe an ideal order in which what those could be consumed. So, you know, maybe this is better to watch before that kind of idea. And so we've kind of organized them into a more logical curriculum. And, and I think we'll continue to add on to that. And so by default, when you go to concealedcare.com, even if you just go and set up a free user account, when you log into your user dashboard, it's going to show you your current rank and your current rank is guardian. And it'll show you what you need to do uh, within the curriculum, what content courses you need to complete to rank up to guardian level one. And then of course, after that guardian level two and, and so forth, it goes. And so that's something that we're working on right now. A lot of the components are all ready to go. We're just, we have one more kind of fundamental uh, video course that we're planning on producing here soon that will be part of that initial uh, level one rank up. And we're really excited. So so that's the first kind of key thing we did is we organized all this content together uh, in, in a curriculum. The second big element of Guardian University is that it is now completely free as a benefit to Guardian Nation membership. So previously, Guardian Nation members just like everybody else had to buy our online training courses. They were discounted, uh, you know, our standard Guardian Nation discount uh, of our store, which is a nice benefit, but now they're just free. All online video courses are free as a part of Guardian Nation membership. And that's true today, right now. You could go and you could take any of our courses for free if you're an active member of Guardian Nation. Uh, If you join today, you would immediately unlock all of our online training courses and can begin to move through that curriculum. So it's it's there, it's live. You just can't quite fully rank up to the next level right now until we finish the, the next component. And once that's done, we'll do kind of an official launch, but pretty excited. But you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> so uh, 
yeah, Guardian University. Um, I don't know if there's a link to provide to that, but other than you can go to concealedcarry.com, log into your user account dashboard, and you'll see a little button or tab thing there. You can click Guardian University, and then you'll see the whole curriculum laid out, and you can work your way through it. Yep. So, pretty exciting. And also today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by the Ready Up Gear Laser Dot Training Cartridge, available at readyupgear.com. Uh, Jacob, you already did the one in my message. Why don't you do the second one here? Ah, the Laser Dot is a traditional uh, ammunition replacement for dry fire training. It's inserted through the chamber of the gun into the barrel directly. And when the firing pin comes forward and strikes the rear of the round, it hits this little activation button, which activates a red laser, which momentarily flashes on through the barrel slash, you know, out of the muzzle of your gun and onto your you know, purported target. It gives you accuracy related feedback when you're doing dry fire practice. Um, this is not a new concept. A lot of products like this have been on the market for a very long time. But the laser dot from Ready Up Gear is one that we uh, feel good about. We think the price is spot on, and we think that the quality is good. So, laser dot from ReadyUpGear.com, available in four calibers: three eighty auto, nine millimeter, forty, and forty-five. Yep. Maybe one day revolver options. Maybe mm. maybe one day some carbine options. Mm, yeah cool all right guys appreciate your support of our sponsors uh that make it possible to produce this podcast let's get into it uh today's topic again carrying your gun in a ready condition is the uh, title i decided to give this one uh and i'm just going to kind of preface this a little bit and uh and we'll see where this takes us we don't have a particular like outline or or uh uh you know really much of a show notes to follow in this other than we're just going back and kind of reviewing this uh, topic from five years ago now um carrying the gun in ready condition i define as the first thing i think about jacob is why am i carrying a gun and i'm carrying a gun for a low probability event more than likely where the if in the event that that thing does happen and i have a need to defend my life or the life of someone i care about uh then i need that ability to do so immediately and we're we're doing this we're talking about this in the context of a gun i mean we cuz we could obviously expand this to a greater context than just guns and shooting as far as you know defensive methods and techniques and strategies and tactics but if I need that gun, then, you know, again, it's a low probability event of it even occurring. But if it happens, then typically it happens relatively quickly. So I want to be able to access, draw, and use my gun in whatever manner is necessary to solve that tactical problem as efficiently as possible. And so that's how I think of, you know, carrying my gun in a ready condition ready to use right now kind of kind of my approach anyway yeah i i I don't disagree though i do think that time and speed are the most often cited uh justifications for the decision to carry the gun with a round in the chamber and i think that they're certainly just one of many considerations and arguably not the strongest of the arguments in favor of that decision. Mm. Care to elaborate? Okay. Yep. So I I like where you're going. Yep. So here's the deal. Um, To be clear and get it out of the way, Riley and I, on this one, we agree. We agree that it's a best practice to carry with the round in the chamber. And when I get asked by students or, or passerbys or whoever thinks that they should ask me, you know, should I carry around in the chamber? my general response is something along the lines of it's probably a good idea to have a goal to get to a point where you're comfortable enough to carry with the round of the chamber, because I don't think it's probably necessarily advisable for the, for the newbie who who has not mastered some basic um, habits relative to uh, trigger finger discipline and other safety related protocols. And, And I, and I do think that, you know, there's something to be said about kind of building up to something. So, that's that's my like 
clarity on my stance on the topic. But yeah, when it comes up, people like you know, see it on Facebook all the time. Uh, you know, oh, should I carry it around in the chamber? Oh yeah, and boom, 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 and and the the almost without fail, almost every single comment in favor of carrying it around in the chamber is, is they cite time. Oh, mm-hmm. but yeah, because I'm you're not gonna have time to to rack around into the chamber. And most of the people who argue in in the opposite direction, I'm fine not carrying it around in the chamber because I'm I'm pretty confident I'll have enough time, or because I practice and therefore I'm fast enough when I rack the round. So, so almost without question, it becomes an argument about time and speed. And while that's important, I think it's a limited view of the topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can start by talking about time because I, I read an article. Oh, geez, this has been a long time ago now. And I think it was Guns and Ammo magazine. And it was basically doing some research on how much time really are we talking about? Like if we're, if we're t- you know, taking someone who's pretty proficient, at, you know, we're, or maybe we're taking a number of shooters. Maybe it's ten. I, they they had actual stats and research. And I just can't remember the details, but but I'm pretty sure it was Guns and Ammo magazine about that. I'm about ninety five percent sure. And they had, you know, they they said, hey, here's our baseline for draw time. At, you know, draw to first shot for people who already have a round in the chamber. And then we're going to take some shooters who train and practice, just you know, in the same way to rack around into the chamber as they draw and present. And we're going to look at their draw to first shot times. And we're going to try and determine on average, how much slower is it really to rack around into the chamber? And uh, I'll, I'll just, you know, ruin it. I'll give you the spoiler of the article. The short of it was it's, it's basically not any, any shorter. Like, is, is it slower? Yes. But like to a degree, that's almost inconsequential. Um, now it, 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 what's definitely true is that it's, it's definitely slower on any given individual. That's the problem with research like that is that it's not an apples to apples thing. We're grabbing these 10 shooters who train this way and we're grabbing these 10 shooters who don't. And, you know, are, are their uh, skill levels comparable and all those, or do these guys train more and all these things get really, really hard to determine. So I am confident that any given human, any given shooter, they're going to be faster to deploy the gun and get a shot on target if they don't have to rack around in the chamber. But I think that if we're t- like if we're if we're being honest about how much faster, it's probably not as dramatic as we make it out to be. Uh, I mean, I think we're probably talking about half a second. I mean, to to say it's going to take more than half a second to to rack the slide and then deploy it, I think is probably. I mean, maybe for some shooters, it's a second, but we're not talking like three seconds, you know? So, so does half a second matter? Totally. Does one second matter? Four jerseys. Like I'm not trying to downplay its value. I'm, I'm saying two things. One, it's not as big of a difference as we make it out to be probably. And two, it's, it's a limited scope view on the topic. If that's the only justification we have. So I recall reading the same article, uh, and I was just trying to dig it up again. I, I I do believe it was online there somewhere, and I was coming up uh, short on on locating it. What I re- what I recall about it was not so. I think you probably, and I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain I remember thinking this very thing as I read it. I don't think it was that much of a. Um, study or research project i i actually don't even think it involved really anybody other than the author of the uh, article um testing you know basically draw to first shot chambered and draw to the first shot where you had to you know rack mm. the slide and chamber that might around. be true it might just been their and, best attempt at both or something yeah and, and and uh and i do agree that i think the premise of the article or the conclusion was was uh well it's not that big of a difference you know so why are we arguing over this uh you know this this thing of you know yeah, this point two or seconds or point four or whatever it was um yeah. and so my my counter to that would be um the problem is is we don't get to choose the circumstances of our gunfight right and so there's always this dilemma in firearms you know defense world of like how fast is fast enough or how good is good enough? You know, that kind of thing. Sure. And, and it's such a difficult question to answer because in some circumstances, certain things are good enough, fast enough, whatever, accurate enough, but in others they aren't. Um, so 
the reality is, is that the world's a messy place and we don't get to choose the circumstances of our gunfight. Hopefully we're able to avoid it in the first place, take, you know, certain steps or tactics to uh, uh, prevent it from going that far. But sometimes things do happen, unfortunately, and, you know, we have to respond. And even within that, there's variance as far as it's totally conceivable and uh, has happened, you know, where there are, there are gunfights that start spontaneously where immediate action is required with no delay, right? Uh, where speed is of the essence. And there's other circumstances where the, the good guy uh, is able to uh, sort of within reasonable limits, pick the timing of his counterattack, which implies in a lot of instances something you know a tactic more along the lines of like a surreptitious draw right you know where uh where some sort of distraction or delay in the in the exchange between you and the bad guy uh is we're able to take advantage of that create some time some space some distance something that allows us to get prepared or get our hand even on the gun in some cases and then it's all about all right now it's go time um and, and or even instances i've come across you know in my studies where a person was able to actually draw their gun out and surreptitiously just hold it at their side until it was you know until they were ready to all right you know now it's now it's go time now it's put put the gun into the fight so so circumstances are always unique and different for every situation um so talking about the timepiece, you said, let's start there. And, and, and that I think is a great place to start. There's a lot of different um, schools of thought with this. I mean, varying degrees and getting your gun put into the fight, right? Deploying that defensive tool. Um, there's some schools of thought that, hey, if you can do it consistently in two seconds or less, you're probably in good shape. Others are more inclined to say one and a half seconds is the standard. And then there are still others that say a second, you know, is, is where you want to be as far as that draw to first shot time standard. Um, I, I think the nuances in our training community that sometimes brings up those different time standards, uh, I think is, is reflective of the various differences that do exist in actual recorded gunfights. Um, I also think it's, it exists because of um, people trying to create training standards that fit the audience that they're designed for. Um, right. So yeah, it's always uh, marketing to some degree. Yeah, somewhat, but also just that, like, what's the reality for most people? And what's the, and the reality is that most people aren't going to train and practice to the level that they, that they could, you know, to perform at some of those higher standards. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say with all this is as I've studied, you know, and by studied, I mean, we've covered so many of these justified save stories, as we call them on the podcast, of civilian uses of deadly force in defense. Um, we've watched numerous videos of, of shootings that have happened on, you know, and have been captured on camera. Um, and then just talking with people that have experienced things. We've interviewed people on this podcast as well that have used their firearms in self-defense. And so my feeling is that it's far better to have a skill or performance standard that isn't needed than to need it and not have it. Just like it's better to have a gun and not need it than to need it and not have it, right? We are planning for low probability events in the first place. So why would my mindset with regard to my imagined gunfight be any different? That Why would I not think, well... I probably don't need that one second draw, but would it not be a good thing to maybe at least have that capability? Should I need it? It's a low probability event, but I don't know. That's, that's, I guess that's my counter to that. Which I think is super valid, right? I mean, we're, we're both like countering an argument that neither of us actually are on the other side of. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're, we're, you know, that a certain degree of like bias exists here. 
I think it comes down if time is the only factor, which it's not, we're going to get into other things, but if time is the only yeah. factor, then I think a person just got to decide how committed they are. Cause that, that to me, it's a question of commitment. If you're, if you're super duper like committed, like I'm going to maximize my odds, then this, this has to be a part of that because without question, it, it does shave time. Uh, to whatever degree that amount of time is, is really becomes irrelevant if you're super committed because you're just trying to shave off any time you can. It just doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's faster sure. or not. That's you all can, that matters. Can, yeah. You can always get faster. Right. The answer is yes. It's a, therefore, it's, a, it's moving goalpost. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's some counter arguments related to safety, and I'm sure we'll, we'll address those at some point here. But if if you're simply trying to maximize odds of success, and this is one more thing you can do. But we see plenty of people in our community who are not that committed. There's what I would call like the 80-20 people. Mm-hmm. Like 80% is enough, right? Like doing it 80% well is enough. You know, maybe my gun's not the best or my holster's not the best or my carry position's not the best or I don't have a round in the chamber or I don't practice or I don't have a two-second draw or I haven't taken a class since my concealed carry class seven years ago. These are the, these are the 80% concealed carriers who they think that just doing 80% is good enough. And and I and some of you who are listening to this right now, you are among the 20%. So it's hard for you and me and for Riley to relate to the 80%ers. But but we do have to just you know to 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 remember this, just to say it out loud and be clear. The 80%ers are still doing about 80% more for themselves and for the people around them than all the people out there who aren't carrying around a gun. Right, so they're still in a much better place than than the average adult population, but they're eighty percenters, right? So what does that mean? It means that they're probably pretty well prepared for about eighty percent of circumstances. So that's not awesome. Like that's mm. I don't want to be prepared, prepared for eighty percent versus. Yeah, people get. I'm being no, very generic. I yeah, I don't really believe in fun. luck per se, but oh, people sure. get lucky. Oh, we see tons of luck. All we see the tons of luck, right? A large number of the stories we read clearly involve a significant amount of luck. And that's fine. Like, I hope I get lucky too. Frankly, I'm all for being <laughs> sure, lucky sure. in my gunfight one day. Like, <laughs> you know, God bless it. Uh, you know, I'll take any luck I can get. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that let's, it, it, it comes down to commitment. Because if yeah. you're if you're committed, you don't want to be eighty percent prepared. You don't want to be able mm-hmm. to win eighty percent of the fights. Mm-hmm. You want to maximize odds of success, right? You want to get as close to one hundred percent as possible, sure. and and that means you're willing to sh- you know do anything within reason, anything that you that is safe, that maximizes odds of winning. You're willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, this kind of gets us into an area where uh, you know we start separating the. Uh, the adults from, from the children, frankly, you know, to, to, to put it in a direct way, uh, meaning that uh, some people carry a gun um, because the, the gun gives them security, right? It's, it's their whoopee. It's uh, there's not much more thought other than, Hey, if I just carry this gun, I'm, I'm, Hey, cool. I've got my gun. I'm safe. Like all is well now. Uh, there's not much thought more beyond that than that. And uh, the truth is, as we know, and longtime listeners of the podcast should know and recognize that, no, there's there's quite a bit more to it than that in a lot of respects. Um, and, and I guess I would say this. If you aren't, like, if you're just carrying a gun because it's convenient to do so and it gives you some feeling of reassurance by doing so, um, and that you don't have the time. Well, you don't make the time. We always can, you know, we can always decide what we want to do with our time, but you don't make the time nor care enough to really do much more beyond the, the, the most basic requirements, meaning your state requires you to go to some state mandated three or four hour course to apply for and get a concealed carry permit. And you thus do that and that's it. And you, you, you buy that gun, you strap it on your hip or stick it in your pocket and put it in your purse and boom, you know, that's it. That's, that's it for you. Then you know what? It honestly doesn't really matter that much whether you carry chambered or not. Because, because for you, like that, that, that's kind of, I mean, that's my feeling about it is if that's where you are. And by the way, that's okay. I'm okay with like, cause that's on you. That's not on me. 
right? Um, that's your choice, and that's yeah, where you want more decisions, be, right? Right. But um, it, it, if what it is is a magic talisman for you, a comforter, a wooby, then chambered or not, guess it doesn't really matter, right? Like, uh, but but my hope would be Jacob that, and, and I think this is probably more true of of those folks that are listening to our podcast because hey, you're here, uh, so obviously you're putting some effort into educating yourself and making yourself better in some way. Um, then we shouldn't ever. And it's just my personal belief, but I think we should never settle for you know mediocrity. Like we should always be doing something in some way to move ourselves forward, to get a little bit better each day, to, you know, to do something today that that helps me be better tomorrow. And again, I think that most of you listening probably are of that mindset because you're here and we're all in different places along the path, right? Some are more... Some are more dedicated than others. Some are more prepared or practiced than others. Some have a different background than others, you know, that maybe have set you on that path earlier in your life um, or whatever. So it, it is what it is. But uh, I, I, I would hope that we're always trying to find ways to to push ourselves to get better. Yep. And, but and, there, there are exceptions to the rule. Like I, I definitely have met people who – I would consider have a high degree of commitment, right? They've spent money on the gear. They've taken lots of classes, but yet they, they just, they're on that side of the fence of, no, I'm not carrying with the round in the chamber. They just fundamentally mm. think it's unsafe. Do you, do you come across that many examples of that? Nah, one or two. So, because so, that's my point is like, yeah, not common. I, I think if you honestly have taken a lot of classes, you've probably worked this out already for yourself. Well, it would be hard to take a class and have this belief, frankly, like any defensive handgun class for sure. It's going to make for a long day for you on the range. But <laughs> uh, constantly clearing the chamber before you go back to the holster is going to be, and you're going to be pulling a lot of ammo out of the dirt. But anyway, I, I, I guess I'm saying that there are, I don't mean to generalize. I, I think it's unfair of us to suggest that anybody who doesn't carry around in the chamber is not committed enough or not dedicated enough. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to provide some allowance. There, there could be people who very much so identify as being extremely committed or extremely dedicated, but this is a line they've drawn in the sand because they feel for whatever reason, it's not for them or that it's unsafe. And so, you know, we would obviously hope to address those concerns today, but I, you know, we need to allow that it's not necessarily a guaranteed sign that you, you're just not in it, that you're, mm -hmm. that you're one foot in and one foot out. Sure. I mean, but equally so, there's tons of people that are wholly dedicated 100% in, in their belief and support of the Second Amendment. And therefore, the Second Amendment affords me this right to carry a gun. And therefore, I shall. But that's the extent of, the, of, the, of their dedication is that it's Second Amendment. I have the right. I will do it. But as far as actually developing defensive-minded or tactical skill. Mm. Well, there's many people who are very committed to the Second Amendment and don't don't even want to carry around a gun. Sure. Right? The, the, yep. For them, the Second Amendment protects other things, like having a gun at the house or hunting or, you know. So, so yeah, you can, you can be committed and dedicated and still not identify with all these standards that yep. we deem the best practices. It, for me, that's where, remember where I began is I asked the question, I said, why am I carrying a gun? why like now again your why might just simply be well it's my right to do so and you have no right to tell me otherwise i'm not trying to tell anybody that whatsoever um but f i think and i'd like to think for most people that carry one at least on a daily or semi-daily basis it's it has something to do with or is rooted somewhere in in case i need it to defend life and if that is your why, then what are we doing about, you know, making, you know, trying to be as prepared as we can be to actually be able to perform that why, to do that why, to do that thing that we said we're carrying that gun for? Mm -hmm. I think that's important. I think it's a very fair question to ask. And, uh, you know, that, that self-reflection of why am I doing this again? Why do I put up with this extra little 
weight and pinch and pain and whatever in my waistband. Uh, wh- what am I doing that for? There's a reason. And so like, let's use that, I think, as motivation to to push ourselves to the next level. I mean, you, you also kind of started out saying that a common thing that you respond to those that ask about, and, and by that, like we teach concealed carry classes, you teach far more of them than I do. And so you get, um, frankly, a lot of newbies, new, newer gun owners, first time gun owners, or, or people have been gun owners a long time, but now for the first time ever, they're thinking about carrying a gun with them. And this is a question that comes up. Is it safe for me to, have this round chambered in the gun? Is it spontaneously able to discharge? What kind of safety things or issues do I need to be thinking about or considering? And your response is it's probably a you know a, a good goal to work yourself you know towards where you are able or comfortable with doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't know how to be more concise than that, right? Like acknowledge yeah. that the person may not be comfortable in doing so, and that that's okay but that it is a best practice. And so they probably need to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and I think it comes down to a large number of things, uh, certainly understanding things that, that or help you overcome the gun safety concern is the primary issue, right? Anyone who doesn't carry with the round of the chamber, they cite safety. That's the only justification for not doing so, right? Like it's pretty obvious that it's faster and, and whatever else. So, so the only justification of not doing so is to say, oh, I don't think it's safe. So not thinking it's safe is, in my opinion, uh, to some degree, ignorant. And I don't mean that with any negative connotation. I just mean that, I mean, I'm ignorant on a ton of stuff in life, right? But this this is one where if you think it's not safe, I think you, you're carrying around a certain degree of ignorance. Um, and, and so I think we have to address what are those issues? What are those concerns that some, what would cause someone to think it's unsafe? And why do we disagree? So uh, one thing I think that would be a good resource, if anyone's listening to this, maybe your friend told you to go listen to this episode and you're, you're, you're in that camp, you know, that you feel that way. I would encourage you to also go listen to episode 476 of our podcast. Episode 476 is called four trigger types and choosing the right one for you. Because I think that having a deep understanding of, of, of the modern day semi-automatic handgun uh, or revolver for that matter, is pretty critical to this topic. You know, because there are distinct differences between a single action only gun and a double action single action gun or a striker fire gun or whatever. I guess there's, I just named three of the four. So the fourth one would be a, a, dub, a double action only uh, gun. You know, and understanding those also, I think, will help you to be more educated and be less ignorant on this topic. Because if you are carrying, let's say someone's carrying a 1911. Oh, I choose to carry a 1911. So I, I'm not going to put it around in the chamber because that single action only trigger, it's really light, you know, and I don't want to carry it cocked and locked. Okay, like that is a unique thing that's different than someone who's walking around with a Glock in their pants. And so we got to have a certain degree of understanding. It doesn't change the question, by the way. Like you still shove around in the chamber. I'm not saying it changes this issue. I'm saying that it, it it's, it's more understandable why you would be unclear on why it's still safe to do so. So go listen to episode 476. Uh, I think it's an important like prerequisite to understanding uh, some of those things. But the the short answer is, how do we ensure that the gun is safe? Well, regardless if you have round in the chamber or not, we do the exact same stuff. Okay. We we put the gun in a, in a quality holster. And, and quality holster, by the way, as it relates to safety, really has three components. The holster fully covers the trigger guard in such a way it's impossible for the trigger to be depressed while the gun's in the holster. Okay. Number two, the gun is retained to the holster in a way that we deem sufficient. And number three, the holster is retained to the body when we draw the gun so the holster doesn't come with it. Those are the three safety-related holster requirements. So regardless if you carry with the round in the chamber or not, you should be checking those boxes. So that's the first thing that I think is necessary to carry with the round in the chamber safely. Uh, and then the second thing is you, your your personal discipline, right? Your your ability to draw the gun properly and to deploy it on target. And whether you carry it around in the chamber or not, you should be doing it the same way, right? So it, it's it's not an issue of, well, I get to be more lax if I don't carry it around in the chamber. I don't have to do this. Like it's all the same thing, right? Like I don't, the the the, the way we carry a gun and deploy it safely is the same regardless. And if you are doing it properly, then regardless of having around in the chamber or not, you're just as safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, um, status of the gun doesn't change 
our own, you know, actions as far as our safety, right? I mean, it can influence it somewhat. And I think if it does influence your actions, that's, that's on you. That's a problem, you know, with you. Meaning that if you are more lax in your handling or treatment of a gun because it's unloaded or you believe it to be unloaded, that's a problem. That's an attitude that shouldn't exist, right? It's dangerous. Um, but, you know, whether that thing has got a round chambered or not, shouldn't do anything at all or influence us in, in our abiding by the safety rules. Like, it's as simple as that. Now, I understand that a lot of newer uh, uh, gun owners and gun carriers are a little more, you know, they're, they're, this is more of an issue because the confidence is not yet there for themselves in their ability to daily handle, you know, uh, holster put on your body, you know, this gun in a holster, all that, that, that daily routine handling of the firearm that you are now carrying on your, on your body, um, that, that confidence isn't there yet, that, that you believe in yourself, um, that you can do so safely. That's, that's fair. And that's completely understandable. Um, and if that's where you're at, then like, Bravo. Like at least you, you are in tune enough with yourself to, and, and also uh, what's the word? Uh, you have enough integrity with yourself too to go, you know what? I'm not sure I'm ready for this. So this is, this is how I'm going to handle this. I'm going to uh, uh, carry this thing unchambered and that'll limit my liability. Personally speaking, I understand and I can relate to that. Okay. Well, I, I'll I, say that when I did it, I'm guilty, right? Yeah. Like when I first five years, we, I, I think we even talked about this, you know, the last time, um, when I first started carrying a gun, like 15 plus, I don't know how long has it been now? 15, maybe 16 years now. Yeah. Probably about that. Okay. Um, 15 and a half for me. Yeah. Around that time frame. Um, that I totally was in that same position. Um, and I'll tell you the one thing that I did, and I think I talked about this in episode 18, that helped me, I think, get to, to a place of, of greater comfort and confidence in myself and my ability was simply practicing carrying around my own home. Like before I even ever went in public, it was get my gun, get my holster, which was a crappy gun and a crappy holster to begin with. But hey, that's neither here nor there. But I got the gun holster unloaded. And put it on my waist and just wore it around the house. And that was kind of like the first step. And then the next step was unchambered, loaded magazine, in holster, going out in public. And it's hard for me to remember exactly, you know, like how long all this lasted. But, um, you know, maybe, maybe two months, something like that would be my guess, you know, like a couple of weeks just wearing it around the house, maybe two months or so uh, in public, you know, unchambered. And at some point I'm like, you know what? I'm getting used to how this works, how I carry it. I'm getting more comfortable. Uh, I feel pretty good about my safety and not pointing it at, my, at myself, I'm not pointing it at others. And I'm, you know, handling it, holstering it, getting ready for the day, whatever. And, and then, you know, next thing you know, you're, Hey, you like that, that common sense piece, at least for me was I'm carrying this gun. Um, I'm more confident now in my safety aspect of doing so. I'm a little less confident in my ability to draw and chamber around and put this thing into use. So I need to make sure this thing's ready for use now. And I would say that fast forward now, 15, 16 years where my skill level is currently, I'm confident I could draw and chamber around very fast and put rounds on target faster than the average person can just draw and fire a gun that's ready to use. So why would I, you know, like, why is this a, an issue? Well, because I still believe in being as efficient as possible. And I've said efficient since the beginning of this episode, because it's not only about time. As you were alluding to earlier, you said it's not just about time. And, and by efficiency, I'm using that in a very broad sense. Um, I think people understand that time can be a difference maker. 
it is clearly, I mean, like it's demonstrable. Like even with myself, if I was to draw and rack, a, I, I haven't tested or timed it in a while. I should do it the next time I go to the range just to see. But I'm confident that I'm at least a quarter second, if not more, slower drawing and chambering than just drawing and shooting. Sure. A quarter second could be substantial. And I have a high degree of gun handling, you know, skill. Sure. So, um, so yeah, like that quarter second, like that's a quarter second you can never get back, right? The the shot timer in a gunfight is like final. You have you have you have the rest of your life to solve that tactical problem, and that the rest of your life might be a second, it might be two seconds. So you know, figure that out. So time is of the essence in my world, but as you said. It is not the only factor. So what's an, what's other what's some other factors as to why chambering or, or excuse me, not chambering is uh, not the best approach? It, it, uh, it limits your ability to deploy the gun when you're limited to just one hand. So that, this is another critical one for me. Uh, you know, a situation for me might be I'm holding a child. I'm holding back a child. I'm any number of things. Maybe I'm injured, you know, but, but probably more, less likely to be injured at the beginning of the fight. But for whatever reason, I am down to one arm that's available for action. So drawing that gun and racking that slide, not that it can't be done like I, all the naysayers, like I know <laughs> I've, I have also been taught and trained and practiced racking the slide one-handed off a belt or some other object or whatever else. But now that quarter second just got a lot more significant. It's not a quarter second anymore if I got to turn that gun around and rack it off my belt. So that's that's another one that's that's pretty significant for me is that deploying that gun one handed, uh, that can be that can be done uh, with with the round in the chamber. It's not that not that big of a deal. I can get the gun into the fight pretty pretty efficiently. But mm-hmm. if I have to rack around and I don't have a second hand available to do it, now that complicates things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, th- and there's so many situations we can we can you know dream up or imagine you know regarding that um everywhere from you're entangled in a fight to hands on um your arm has been injured in some way like the fight already started you were behind the power curve on it you've already sustained an injury and that other arm hand whatever is not as effective as as it could be or should be um i'm reminded of a uh, officer involved shooting i remember seeing the video of this is going back a ways but Right, almost in the beginning of the fight, he took a round to his fingers, um, and uh, like like his trigger finger basically couldn't work anymore. Right, and he had to. It took him a minute of like, I mean, not a minute, but but a, there was a there was definitely a moment where it was like, why is this not working? Oh snap! I've been hit, and he, you know he had to adjust. I think he ended up, you know, pulling the trigger with his middle finger. He he did he did honestly remarkably well in in that adjustment. But just realize that something can happen very quickly early on in the fight. takes takes one of your appendages, your arm, whatever, out of that fight. It could be, um, uh, you know, dealing with you know, like you're in a public place with your family. You got a child. You're holding a child. Uh, you've got you know other things. Maybe you're trying to navigate your way through doorways, doors, cars, vehicles, etc. Um, but another one that, that really comes to mind, Jacob, is that uh, um crap, I just lost it. <laughs> I had it. As another reason I one handed or another reason you should have around in the chamber. Yeah, one handed. Um was uh <laughs> Well, I think for me a very likely one is just that I might be using my other arm to shield myself. You know, from someone who's trying to punch me, hit me, swing a bat well, at me. Yeah, that's you know, what I number of things about being entangled. You know, yeah. in, in, a, in a fight. Hands on. Um. Oh, oh, going back to the uh, to the kind of sur- surreptitious draw, right? Uh, there are definitely tactical environments and situations, and I've seen them. I've seen them captured on camera, right? Where the situation called for you basically doing the draw one handed. And when it's time to actually put that into the fight to get that gun out there, like it would, it would do nothing other than to hold you back from that tactical, you know, from actually gaining advantage from that tactical advantage. Right. 
Like you can draw the gun one handed, you can get it ready to go. You're ready to rock and roll. And it's like, Ooh, let's go now. But now actually means, well, in like a quarter to a half second, because I got to, you know, do this other thing to rack it. Yeah, so, and you can't surreptitiously rack the slide. That's, exactly. That's, that's pretty challenging. Yeah. So, and again, those those situations are somewhat rare, but we do see them. I mean, John Korea has covered them on at the Asp Channel uh, multiple times. So, yeah, they, there's there's a whole multitude of reasons why you might not have both hands available to you, at least the way you think you would. Sure. Sure. Here's another one. Ammo hmm. capacity. Ammo capacity. Yeah. So it becomes more of an issue the smaller the, the gun or the capacity, right? So, yeah. so um, let's, let's just use an example. Let's say someone's carrying around a shield, not the new fancy one that was just announced, but like your traditional shield. I was thinking like the original Glock 40. Well, I guess it still is original, Glock but the Glock 43. 43 yeah. Right? So six. Yeah. So six or six or seven, right? So uh, the Glock, six, is it six plus one? I think it's six plus one. Six plus one. Yeah. So it's six plus one. So what's the difference then percentage wise in ammo capacity between six and seven rounds? It's 16%. Mm-hmm. One is 16% of six. So <laughs> to me, this is, this is pretty serious. Like we're talking about a substantial increase in ammo capacity, 15% mm-hmm. by putting a round in the chamber. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot. Now, again, you know, that's a bigger percentage when we're talking about these low capacity micro compact or subcompact guns than when we're talking about a mid size yeah. or a full size gun, right? Well, you know, and what's the difference between 17 and 18? Not mm-hmm. as significant as six and seven. Exactly. Like a buddy of mine that's a, he's a very, uh, uh, he's a very serious trainer. Like he trains a lot, takes a lot of classes from people and is a very accomplished shooter. And he's like, uh, don't judge me, but I don't plus one my gun. Meaning he has a he starts with a fully loaded magazine, sticks the magazine in the gun, chambers around, doesn't bother topping off the mag or you know that kind of thing. And I was like, okay, I know you're carrying a seventeen plus one round gun. Like I don't, I don't like that doesn't bother me that much. But if you told me that that about a Glock forty three or a Shield or some other like small low capacity single stack, it's like, I mean, yeah, there, there there's there's a bit of a difference there. Um, and of course I'm on record numerous times as saying I, I, my personal belief, and it's not based on anything super scientific or anything like that, other than just experience and studying a lot of different self-defense incidents that uh, if I'm going to carry a gun, I, I really want to carry a gun that has at least 10 round capacity. And, uh, you know, that's, a, there's a difference between a 10 or 12 round gun and a seven round gun. In my, sure. in my opinion, you know, looking sure. at common incidents and the number of rounds that is often involved in solving those problems. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you there, bro. Uh, yeah, if you're a six or seven mag, you know, mag capacity gun and you're already down one round, like that, 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 that definitely kind of hurts. It's like starting with a uh, revolver that only has five of the six chambers you know, loaded. Yeah. Or, yeah it's, it's or feels out of that five way. in the case of a five shot, you know, it's like none of us know how much ammo is going to be required to solve the problem. Just like we don't know how fast we're going to have to be to solve the problem. So it's, it's that same category of, are you doing 80% or are you committed enough to maximizing your odds of winning? And so this is ammo capacity is one of those things. And, and it's one thing to say, Oh, I'm, I'm carrying a spare mag. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's noble and awesome and cool of you. Uh, and, and like, legitimately two thumbs up from Jacob, but uh, it's a pretty simple thing to just add one more round to your ammo capacity. Just, you know, rack one into the chamber, top off the mag, stick it back in the gun. Like poof, you just increased your ammo capacity by one. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So um, yeah, you know, to the point about spare mags, right? Like uh, first of all, there's, I think I'm aware of two incidents where civilians actually reloaded their pistols. Um, and I can't even, and I don't even like I'm a, I've heard of these from reputable sources, but I can't even point you to those specific incidents as far as a source. Um, the likelihood of you having the chance to reload is probably pretty low. 
So I, I, that's another reason why it's like, I'm not going to count on, and some of that may be because you may not have the opportunity to reload. Right, right. That's an important clarification because you're not suggesting that citizens never have a need for that much ammo. You're suggesting that the odds are pretty low that you'll have the opportunity to reload before the problem needs to be solved. Uh, Yeah. I would say even in some of the officer involved shootings, I've watched where they've run dry that it's, um, not untypical that I've seen officers shoot their gun dry and then they still perform a reload. But by the time they've done that, they're like, Oh, problems, you know, like the, the dude's down situations resolved. Um, also it tends to be, be more like that people realize the guns dry and they tend to try to get the heck out of there, you know, get to cover if they're, if they are a cop, they're trying to get to cover to reload. Um, that seems to be a little more typical that, Hey, guns out. Ooh, snap. You know, like I'm still out in the open or I need to, you know, I need to do something about this right now. So, um, <laughs> if you live in Brazil, you probably need to reload. <laughs> I don't know about that. I have no personal experience there. Dark, dark agenda to the bay mail, to the <laughs> bay. Dank agenda. It's a dank agenda. <laughs> Tabon, cara. Tabon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, all, all fair points. Um, the chamber or not the chamber? Hmm. Other other points, Jacob. Uh, I think that uh, those are the, the things that are top of mind for me. At the end of the day, my my summary would be where I started. It's a good mm-hmm. idea to have the goal, the objective, to get to the point where you're comfortable enough to carry with the round of the chamber. Uh, I've mm-hmm. I've yet to hear of anybody who said, "Oh, I've ne- I never carry around the chamber because when I carry properly in a good holster and I exercise, you know, basic safety precautions, uh, I sometimes pull my gun out and, and I find the trigger has been depressed. That you know, like it, that's not happening. Guns are not like the vast majority of concealed carriers who carry a gun have a round of the chamber. N- none of us are just randomly getting shot. Um, now you certainly mm-hmm. can point to negligent discharges where because of some other safety failure. A person has had a negligent discharge, but the round of the chamber is circumstantial. It's not what leads to the negligent discharge. It's not what leads to the discharge of the gun. It's some other safety failure. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about complicated, difficult safety procedures to be followed. We're talking about some basic, simple requirements that, that, that constitute a, a quality holster. Then we're talking about some, some basic, simple required any way for safe gun handling, uh, uh, handling skills. Mm-hmm. So this is not a question about safety. This is, you know, if, if you are safe with the gun and you have good safe gear, then that box needs to be checked and you need to move forward and make yourself that much better prepared by putting around in the chamber of the gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now the one other thing that uh, I think we said we were going to touch on, but we haven't yet would be um, having to deal with uh, safeties. Right, mm-hmm. carrying your gun in a ready condition. So the idea or the topic of manual safeties uh, is really what we mean there, because there's 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 passive safeties or safeties that are uh, built into the gun that, as a part of normal operation of that gun, are automatically you know deactivated or whatever. Um, but what what we mean here is the idea of a active or manual safety. That you have to manual, like, that's the idea, right? You've got to make that decision and, and perform the action of, uh, typically it's a sweeping motion, right? You know, of sweeping with your thumb or something up or down a safety somewhere uh, to be able to use that gun. And so I, I would just touch on this and say that at one time, and maybe even, I don't recall, but I don't even know if we touched on it in episode 18, five years ago now, but um, at one time I was pr- pretty anti manual safety. Um, and it's still not my preference for, you know, the guns that I carry, uh, primarily, although it's become more of a consideration for me since I started carrying appendix. Right. And, uh, it, it you know, it's something I've thought about. So, you know, there's devices like the striker control device that's made for Glocks that gives you, um, that ability and, and the the concept here is that we're we're really concerned primarily with holstering the gun and the idea not that we make a mistake although it's possible but I I don't worry I mean I hate I don't want to sound complacent or anything like that but 
I mean, my, my firearm safety, as far as that finger being off the trigger when I'm drawing or reholstering or whatever is pretty consistent. Right. Um, I, so I don't worry about that so much as I, as I worry maybe a little bit more about the possibility of other objects or clothing or things getting in the way of the trigger when I'm handling the gun reholstering, especially. Right. And so that's where I've kind of thought maybe a manual safety wouldn't be a bad idea in that regard just for that extra layer of it's for the unpredictable, the less controllable circumstances. Now, there's a lot of things I can do, you know, as far as like looking before I reholster, the quality of the holster I'm using, even reholstering technique. Um, there's a lot of things that I can do that reduce and mitigate the risk of holstering, uh, particularly in that appendix position. And, and, you know, and, and avoiding that possibility of that gun being or the trigger being depressed at some point. Um, but a safety would just give that extra layer of reassurance and confidence that, I mean, I still want to follow all the same safety protocols as it relates to handling and holstering that gun. But in the event that something just goes awry, because Stuff happens, frankly. You know, it's life. Um, having that manual safety might not be a bad idea. So that's kind of how I've evolved a little bit on the thinking of that. Um, I, I'm still of the belief that I prefer a firearm that is, quote unquote, ready for use. Meaning, just grab it and use it, right? Don't have to really put a lot of other thought or things into it. And that's definitely how I've thought for a long time. However... I'm a lot more open to the idea of manual safeties and I have no problem with people that choose to use manual safeties. Uh, partly from, you know, I've gained more experience in the last five years or so with running rifles, particularly, you know, a patrol rifle or a carbine rifle an AR. And, you know, we don't really give people any grief about swiping on and off your safety on your AR. Like it's just part of the manual of operations. It's not a big deal. And you train it to a level where you don't even think about it. You just do it. It's part of, you know, it's just, hey, up on target, safety off, finger on trigger, ready to go, right? Coming off target, finger straight, safety back on. Like, you don't even think about it. It's not a big deal. And the same is true of a manual safety on a handgun. But that's the key. Like, it's got to be something that you practice and that you train that becomes a subconscious, um, you know, autom automated level of mm -hmm. performance. One one distinction between the carbine and handgun I think is is important is that the safety mechanism on a carbine is not somewhere where it's probably going to be accidentally bumped on or off, uh, and and that's, oh, that's different. Not true at all. I don't have that issue on a, on a rifle. I've never picked up a rifle and accidentally bumped the safety on or off. I but have. I, I got I can, DQ'd. I got DQ'd at a three gun match. It's my one DQ I've ever had in a match, and it didn't happen in the match. It happened in a shoot off. When I reached for the rifle and my hand hit the hit the grip of the rifle, my thumb just it just is talk about just crap happening. It's a perfect storm, and the thumb just happened to manage to uh, uh, hit that safety, and my finger basically brushed the trigger, which was a nicer, you know, it's a pretty light trigger, and it fired like six feet in front of the barrel. I was picking up, you know, like it was as I was picking that up, bam, and I was like, oh snap, I'm done. So. Yes, but it's it's definitely an issue, Jacob, where if you have a slung carbine, you can absolutely catch that safety on things. That's that does happen. Maybe not commonly, but it, it can, and it sometimes does happen, and knock that safety off. So it's yeah, something that's fair. Just, just to point that out. Yeah, maybe not a fair comparison, but, what, but I, I guess I, what I have experience in doing is accidentally turning safeties on in handguns. Um, generally, this is not yes. a gun that I own, right? Like I don't. If you own the gun and you're running a safety, then you probably have trained to grip it in such a way uh, that you don't accidentally activate your safety. You've probably trained in such a way so as to activate it and deactivate it as part of your holster and reholster or your draw and your reholster uh, stroke, right? Um, but but I I I we I've been on the range with students who have accidentally engaged their own safety on their own gun. Mm -hmm. during the course of fire or mm -hmm. during the course of the draw and deploy or whatever at some Absolutely. point unexpected when they thought the safety was disengaged and they've gone to fire I'm like what's wrong with my gun uh, your safety's on how like clearly your grip bumped that on mm -hmm. so i think that would just be my only thought you know is that yes you know your gun you train you practice you grip mm -hmm. it in a certain way uh but especially people with bigger hands 
mm-hmm. uh, tend to have more issues with with accidentally engaging the safety. Mm-hmm. You know, I often tell people this, and maybe this will be my last word on this topic, and we yeah. can end the episode. But yep. when you're when you're new with handguns, your worst case scenario, your nightmare, the thing that keeps you up at night is the is the idea that the gun might go off when it's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. When you've done this for a while, you know a decade and a half in the case of Riley and I, my worst nightmare is that the gun will not go off when it's supposed to go off. So the attitude changes, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. And uh, to, to your point on the uh, pistol safeties, if if your gun comes with a safety on it, then you should use it. Like I've, I've, I've talked to people that had a manual safety on their pistol and they're like, well, but I, I don't use it because like, like inherently they know that that pistol is available in models with and without safeties. And for whatever reason, the, the, the safety equipped one was the one that was available that they could buy at the time. And then they know that they're familiar enough with the gun to know that there's a trigger safety. There's a striker block safety. There's these other safeties that still makes the gun safe even if they're not using the manual safety, but if it comes with one, you should train to use it because there is that possibility, even while you're carrying the gun or just, I don't know, crazy stuff happens and and you end up with a safety on and you're not training to take it off every time you draw that gun or use that gun. And then you're pressing the trigger and wondering why your gun's not going bang. Um, And the the same is true. Like your example is kind of more, you know, talking about during a, string of fire something about the way you're shooting the gun gripping the gun holding the gun maybe bumping the safety on so that's where you want to be practicing and using technique uh, with respect to your grip and your gun that and the size and shape and everything of your hands uh, to ensure that we don't have those kind of problems just like i don't want to have my support hand bumping my slide stop up during firing like i discovered once with with a glock after i i thought i'd try uh, you know a little bit of an extended uh slide stop you know to to make it a little bit easier to do certain things with that gun well it did and it also made it easier to accidentally bump that slide stop up and get a slide lock back condition that i interpreted as my gun's out of ammo i've shot everything time to reload come to find out there's a magazine with 10 rounds still on the ground you know that's a problem so um it goes to to the training the practice the technique everything that we do um it all applies uh, even in in situations like what we're talking about here today. So, uh, you know, push yourself, guys. Don't settle for for less. Um, there, there's always, like, we can get in this rabbit hole of chasing equipment and, like, there's, there's newer, better gun stuff all the time and I'm just going to spend more money buying gun equipment. I'd much rather see you chase the never-ending goal of I can always get better at handling or shooting my guns. And that's what I'd like to see you guys do. And as far as carrying a gun chambered, do it. Get do it. Do what it takes to get to where you're comfortable doing it. Because I, I, I don't see any serious trainers anywhere saying that you shouldn't carry chambered. It just doesn't no. really exist. They don't exist. And so. and if if the presence of a manual safety makes you feel more inclined or more comfortable carrying with around the chamber, then I call that a okay and awesome. And, and to your point, you know, we could argue that safeties are A-OK and awesome under any circumstances, but certainly if that would be help you get over the hump, then I would say do that. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Well, guys, thanks for uh, joining us for another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast, uh, carrying your gun in a ready condition. I hope that you feel uh, like you've gotten your money's worth out of this episode, which is not much. <laughs> Your time. It was free. Yeah. So there you go. You're welcome. Uh, if you like the podcast, you like the episode, uh, let us know. Send us an email. Podcast at concealedcarry.com is how you can reach us. If you have any questions, suggestions, etc. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly podcast giveaway that we do at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. And also, again, uh, uh, one last shout out to episode sponsors, the new soon to come and be officially released guardian university uh, on concealedcarry.com to 
put more good quality education and content in the hands of good people like all of you out there uh, and free to Guardian Nation members, which is awesome. And for dry fire purposes, particularly if you use some kind of laser dry fire system or software, pick up the ready up gear laser dot training cartridge. That's all I got. Jacob. Adios. Thanks everyone. Have a great wet rest of your week and a weekend as well. We remind you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.